Welcome to Material, a podcast all about the Google and Android universe hosted on the Relay FM network. I'm one of your hosts, Yasmin Evian, and joining me as always, we have my wonderful co-host, tech columnist Andy Anako. Yo. And app developer, Mr. Russell Ivanovich. I just came back from the US, so what's up, Yasmin? <laughs> you got it. And we are super, super excited because we have two awesome guests with us and they work on the Daydream team doing VR prototyping. And we have Manuel Clement and Robbie Tilton. Welcome, guys. Hey, so good to be here. Thank you. Thanks for having us. And I, I'm so excited to have you here because I saw this session, you know, at a, you, you recently both were recently in a session at Google I.O. and it was all about VR prototyping. And the whole talk was met mostly like the lessons that you learned as you were experimenting because at I.O. they introduced Daydream. So I, first I want to kind of um, have you both introduce yourselves and just tell us a little bit more of like what your role is in Daydream and then we can dive into like maybe what is Daydream so you can <laughs> let us know. Cool. So maybe I'll jump in. Um, yes, yeah, so I've been working on VR at Google for a couple of years, actually. Um, started on the team um, shortly after the Cardboard project was actually announced. So I wasn't part of the original kind of Cardboard thing that was announced at I.O. Um, uh, 2014, but right after that, I joined the team. Um, and uh, for the last year or so, um, we've been on the team of uh, you know four people uh, plus one product, product manager, Robbie and I, and then two other uh, hardcore engineers awesome software engineers. And uh, um, yeah, so as part of that team, I've been building a ton of things, Robbie as well. I'm kind of introduced both of us here. We're doing the same thing. But um, <laughs> yeah, my, my, my background's uh, uh, user interaction design, um, years and years of shipping stuff at Microsoft and Google. So like billion plus customers, like large productions, multi-year projects in several cases. Um, and But I've always, even though I'm a designer, I've always been like writing code all day uh, and making my own sounds, making my own motion, not using video tools to make motion, but using code. So uh, on the VR team right now, it's it's been it's been a lot of kind of putting all these things together to rapidly build a ton of VR applications and testing a bunch of ideas. And um, it's been crazy fun. Robbie, you want to add some something? Yes, yeah, so I'll just uh, tell everyone a little <laughs> bit about my past. Uh, before the Daydream team, I was working on Google Glass. I uh, worked there for about two years doing UI and UX. Um, and just like Manuel said, we both do design. We also do prototyping. Um, also do like physical computing. We can prototype a ton of different stuff. Um, prior to that, I went to NYU and went to the program called ITP. And before that, I spent some years in advertising. Awesome. So how do you get um, involved in a project like Daydream, which hasn't been announced? Is that just kind of like, hey, you should come apply for this job that we can't tell you about? Uh, so uh, I'll just say I was already at at Google. Uh, actually, both of us were already at Google. So um, I used to work at Microsoft and uh, somehow Google called me up and, and uh, eventually, uh, you know, we discussed and um, after interviewing with Google, they were like, the person, the team was inter interested in, in me was the self-driving car team in California. I lived near Seattle. I had no you know, desire, you know, I didn't know that there were teams down here doing the crazy stuff like that. But of course, a self-driving car team, that was like insanely cool. So moved the whole family um, down to California and all that. But the thing about VR, like I was already at Google, I was already on, on the Chrome team and the teams really cross-pollinate a lot. So my manager was 
uh, talking to other people across the company, all these projects, VR, blah, blah, blah. So I ended up just on the VR team without even knowing it in some way, just like building stuff, having fun. Oh, one day I'm in a building and it's a different building and everybody around me is working on VR all day and I'm working on VR all day and I'm like, okay, I guess I'm on the VR team. So um, <laughs> it's a little crazy. I guess I feel lucky that I didn't have to, uh, you know, go for interview for this specific thing. Although my interview, uh, even for self-driving car, I talked like about building an arcade machine and do all kinds of stuff that was kind of unrelated in some way to a job as you think about it. So it kind of answers your question here. It's just the Google thing has been, that's why I joined the company actually. That's why I actually talked to the um, uh, recruiters because I felt like they really were passionate about like wanting to know what I like to do. And, and it wasn't just about like what UIs is shipped. So yeah, but I'm on the VR team and I don't really know how you get on the VR team because I just was on it. <laughs> so what, what year was this when you, when you joined the team? Oh, the team itself was, uh, it was 2014. 2014. What what was the status of of the VR project at that point? Did did Google know that it was moving towards a developer platform as opposed to a gaming system, as opposed to uh, a specific product? How 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 many different paths was uh, was Google actually looking at back in 2014? Uh, from what I know, I mean, the, uh, I saw the cardboard on stage. Uh, I, I mean, I was already talking at at. IO 2014, and I was not on that team. I was on Material Design, actually Material Podcast, um, and I, <laughs> I was one of the one of the four or five presenters announcing Material Motion 1.0. I don't know what the name for that. Um, and uh, like everybody else, I saw the, the keynote, and Sundar pulled up the cardboard, and he said, "This is." He, he didn't even explain what it was. I had no idea. And I walked out, <laughs> and I saw some of my old friends working on the stuff. But anyway, so that's what I knew. And then when I joined the team, I mean, basically, it's what you saw come out, SDKs, you know, for, for, for Android, and then SDK for iOS, for making apps for Unity, and also for Java. It's just, you know, all that work that goes around, you can't imagine how much work it is to get all that stuff going, uh, working with the YouTube team um, in, to do support 360 and Stereo 360 and all that stuff on, on both now Android and iOS. So all this stuff was from back then was, was being built. So platform, you know, that's what, I, yeah. what, what happened. Um, it definitely does look like uh, what was announced last week at I.O., uh, Daydream. It's less, uh, it's less uh, Google telling the world what VR is going to be so, uh, and more like, here are the tools we are developing. You tell us what you want to build. Like, Robbie, can, can, you tell, can you just explain like, what Daydream is so that we actually get that, uh, get that baseline uh, out there? Yeah, of course. So, um, yeah, at I.O., we announced Daydream. And Daydream is Google VR's platform for building high-quality mobile VR. So we have an SDK. We have a reference design. We're working with partners to come out with a headset. Um, which would be a Daydream headset and a Daydream controller. And there's going to be many flavors of it. And um, we're trying to be as open as possible just so the developers and the community can build and make the experiences that they care about. Yeah, personally, what I'm excited about is um, Android N on Daydream spec phones, which I don't know the whole list. Robbie and I, by the way, were like super, super stressed out and busy <laughs> to prepare our own IO talk. So when I went to the keynote, like everybody else, I'm like, oh, okay, you know, like, because we've been really busy with our own thing. So um, I, we don't have all the answers. We might say, oh, go to the online blog or go watch, <laughs> go watch, go watch the keynote. And it's like, we're not, 
you know, we're, we're nice people, but it's the best answer usually is like, just go watch Clay Bevor talk about it. It's not great for your listeners, but, um, you know, but the thing, like, I was geeking like crazy in the crowd. I was seeing like um, access to <laughs> GPU and like all these special things, like awesome stuff, just basically faster, 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 like sub 20 millisecond motion to photon. Like I hear the stuff, like I get goosebumps. And this is really what was missing before. These things just take time, you know, like talking about cardboard back in the day and like stuff takes time, but this is going to be awesome. I'm personally super excited to like get my hands on like daydream spec phones in, you know, the fall and like try this stuff and turn my head and it's going to be butter smooth. I mean, and it's available for everybody. Like Unreal was on stage. Uh, Unity was on stage. I, I was like big fanboy <laughs> in, the, in, the, in the crowd. So, I mean, to me, that's Daydream. What is Daydream? It's like all the stuff I saw. I was like, this is brilliant. Everybody can make apps. You can make a headset if you want to. There's these cool controllers. They're simple, but it's going to be really great. You saw videos of it. Robbie and I uh, did a lot of prototyping for that controller and trying different ways to use it so it's comfortable. Um, all around, just a fantastic project. I'm really excited about it. That sounds really cool. So I guess there's two sides of it. You've got the developer side. You've got the community. Uh, sorry, community. You've got the uh, consumer side. As as our listeners are kind of sitting out there and they're wondering what this is going to look like, I assume I'll buy some kind of headset. I'll have a phone that meets the the reference specs. I'll have the the controller that you guys have designed. What does that all look like when I put it together? Like I I slot my phone in there. I I put it in and I turn it on. Like what what happens after that? Well, uh, I don't know if I can what I can say here, but basically, as you saw at Google I/O, <laughs> but the people uh, hold on. I mean, I, I I want to answer the questions, and thank you for being interested in this. So, um, but you saw so what we showed, and for your listeners, is basically when you enter this VR mode in Android N, if you have all the pieces together. Um, so what you would you would end up seeing is the uh, Daydream Home. Um, so which is you know, uh, you can launch applications, you find yourself in a beautiful world, uh, you have notifications, something we talked about, um, I think Nathan uh, talked about on stage, um, who's awesome guy, uh, was about like, if you get a phone call, notification, we, we did some work in Android, so you could actually see it in VR, and uh, you could decide, you know, am I going to take action or not, and, um, um, you know, get out of VR mode in order to go and, and take a call or whatever. Um, but, um, so there, all this work is put together that way. So yes, it's, you know, you put your phone, you put the phone, the right phone in it. You have the controller. It's all, it's all talks together, and uh, off you go. You point to what you want to do, and the controller can be used in many different ways. And just to add to that, uh, we're also going to be adding a lot of Google services like YouTube, Play Store, Play Movies, Google Photos. Uh, so there's a lot of great stuff coming, and uh, like Play Store in general, we're just going to have a lot of things that currently or previously weren't native in VR, but now you can really experience and stay in VR and, and, um, less, less like cardboard, cardboard's great for snackable experiences, but, uh, daydream, you'll be able to, you'll be able to have more rich experiences and stay in there a little longer. Yeah. That's one thing that was, I thought was really interesting while I was watching some of these videos. Uh, they were, uh, showing off, uh, prototypes of here's what your here's what a store experience or here's what the sort of a front door experience should be like and lots of subtle i was expecting some a lot of technical stuff about well here's about diopter lengths and here's about latency they're actually talking about well 
try not to have like a background where there's like an open door somewhere because that's going to make people kind of tense. Try. I know you like the mist, uh, mist of rolling in as a nice effect, but realize that we're we're trying to get to. You, you said a snackable. Like we're trying to create a difference between an experience where people will dip in for a few minutes and then leave again, but creating an environment where someone will want to keep that thing on their faces and they want to be inside this environment for a long time is so many subtle things about that. I got how, how much work went into just figuring out how to get people to stay inside the store for an hour, so to speak, without wanting to like run out. <laughs> it, it's a, it's really it comes down to a lot of experimentation and when you're in vr a lot of the answers come intuitively like sometimes in dark spaces if you're like in a movie if you're in a dark virtual space and you're watching a movie you might find yourself like <laughs> looking behind you worried that there's like a monster that'll pop out um so it's like these things just kind of intuitively happen when you're in there trying things out um and they kind of surface to these lessons kind of like the talk manual and i and uh, some of our colleagues gave at IO to try and help other people learn through our experience because we're in these headsets every day. So um, I think overall, once once um, once more people have access to VR and and Daydream, uh, these design practices are going to become more intuitive, like they are on mobile. Um, but right now they're they're like very uh, they seem at least very strange because we're like talking about like you said like an open door can feel like off putting to users and that's something completely different from any platform we have before but in time they'll all kind of flatten out to be yeah obviously let's let's not put like a monster behind someone and let's not have uh, uh, let's not have the tree growing through the UI or whatever it might be unless you want to make speaker trees. Yeah, I did see that. Yeah, hashtag speaker, speaker tree. Hash, hashtag speaker hashtag tree. Speaker tree. <laughs> I wanted to know a bit more about that, actually. I was watching your session, and I noticed you were creating all these different you know, environments that uh, users were engaging with. Was, was there one in particular that kind of stood out that maybe surprised you or that users were like more engaged with you know, that, that you didn't expect? Robbie? <laughs> I, I need a minute to think. Maybe Robbie does, too. It's hard. There's so many. Uh, I think... Um, Manuel had a slide on it. He had this one uh, one experience that we call fruit salad, where basically these uh, bananas and celery sticks they come and they like land on a a little table in front of you, and you have a, a knife that you can cut it with. But the environment's just like crazy stuff. It's like floating bananas and apples. And I think in general, like presenting users with goofy and fun environments. I, I was most surprised with like how much everyone enjoyed it, and when they took the headset off, they're like, oh, "I want to go back. It's so fun." Um, kind of this, this. Uh, I think it's very easy to like mimic reality, but in VR, people really enjoy something different. It's people aren't aren't necessarily looking for a, a replica of reality, but they're looking for something different. Uh, I think that was one of the surprises for me, at least. Yeah, something I would add ex exactly. Um, so if you think about it, like if you're going to take your family or if you're going to go um, with friends to Disneyland, a lot of the time you're going to have to travel for several hours, if not days or whatever, and you pay a lot of money, wait in line, and you find yourself in these crazy environments, basically. And it's interesting, you know. I mean, of course, it's not like productivity, blah, 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 spreadsheets, but you never know. You know, it, that, it, the point is that people just, just want to find themselves in environments that are, 
that are a little bit surreal and things they don't experience in real life. So virtual reality doesn't mean uh, it's exactly the reality that's virtualized. Um, and um, I think that's important. Some, something I'd like to see is um, is everybody realizing that this this playfulness, this like gamification of things that may not be games, or the goal may not be to make people play a game, but it feels like you're playing a game. I think that's going to be very, very powerful for education, for sure, because there's data that shows gamified education, hands-on education is way better than just, you know, everybody pointing in one direction and shutting up for eight hours a day. Um, but I think for other activities as well. Um, so, yeah, I could go on forever about this. <laughs> but um, for me, that's that's a very big thing is just having people manipulate objects uh, these reactive environments that I talked about, like I was bumping into these cubes, and personally, if you saw the video, there was a wall of cubes. You push them, and they poof, they go, and they just fly around. There's no, um, um, it's it's weightless. There's no gravity or zero gravity or low gravity. And um, personally, I found myself in a state of meditation, watching these cubes fly around and touching them, and and it's just interesting because not it wasn't like a meditation app, right? We're just trying to smash cubes and stuff. I think there's so much there to, to learn. However, I think anybody who's speaking about VR and talking smack about it, whatever, everybody needs to like spend several hours a day for a long period of time in VR making their own stuff. I mean, I feel very fortunate because Robbie and I and a few others, that's, that's, that's where we've been living. Um, and it's a very much a time investment. Um, uh, ded it's dedication. But... It's like it makes the the difference, world of difference, and you you just can't talk about it, and you can't really show pictures of it, especially with mono mono vision, you know, instead of stereo. Well, dear listener, I do hope you're enjoying this fascinating discussion about VR. We have many more interesting questions and answers to come, but first, I have to tell you about one of our sponsors for this show, and it is Linode. Linode is a combination of high-performance SSD Linux servers spread across eight data centers around the world, which makes Linode a fantastic solution for your server infrastructure. Uh, you can literally get a server up and running in under a minute with plans starting at just $10 a month. Uh, you'll be able to choose your resources, you know, which Linux distro you want, where you want your node to be located, all from inside a really convenient management tool. So you don't even have to get you know, down and dirty with command line tools. It's all got like a beautiful user interface that you can interact with you know, on the web. And once you're up and running, you can easily deploy, boot, and even resize your virtual server with just a few clicks. So you're thinking, oh, what, what do I use a Linode for? You might want to run a private Git server. Uh, you might want to host large databases. You want to run your own, your own mail server. Or you just want to run the back end for, you know, any sort of powerful application. You know, we use it on on things like Pocket Casts, you know, to, to crunch the very podcast, you know, feed that, you, that this episode came from. It there's a set of servers running on Linode that does that. So as a listener to this show, you know, you're not going to leave empty-handed. You go to linode.com, linode.com slash material20, and you'll not only be supporting us, but you'll also get $20 towards your first Linode plan. That comes with a seven-day money-back guarantee. So if you install it all and you're like, whoa, you know, this is a bit too powerful for me, no worries. You know, you can get your money back. So again... Uh, linode.com slash material20 to learn more and sign up or if you're so excited that you already find yourself on the checkout page uh, use the offer code material20 to get exactly that same deal and we want to thank Linode so much for supporting this show and all of Relay FM. And 
In one of your discussions, uh, you you had the you, you gave a talk about like building an immersive world, and you kind of gave a lot of the tips of like what things to do. So you you want to create a world that interacts with you, right? So you like you mentioned, you push the blocks, and then they actually move. So it's it actually feels very real. Um, and then you also shared kind of the the whole uh, idea of like building these uh, environments that are playful that maybe are not super close to reality because people really seem to to engage and get delighted in those. And I actually loved one of the ideas, which was. Uh, you were like inside of a dollhouse. So you shrank yourself. So it was like an exactly like, honey, I shrunk the kids, but it's like, <laughs> honey, I shrunk the VR prototypers, you know? <laughs> and so I was looking at that and I was like, oh, I remember as a kid, um, like the, just being small or big, like a giant, like that idea was like super awesome and cool to me. And I was like, oh, you actually get to relive this in VR. Uh, but the, the, is there like a happy medium of, you're building this uh, super playful environment that may not be very real, kind of like the dollhouse. You're not that small. And then also you maybe you want to build some other environments that feel a lot more uh, real. The, the renderings or whatever look more true to life. Um, have you found like there's a, the happy medium or both are good or kind of how do you fall in that when you're building those environments? Robbie, you, play, you played with some stuff you want to talk about? Yeah, my take is both are good. Uh, just in, uh, in in case your viewers didn't watch the talk, I'll just mention that Manuel and I, we, we work with uh, two engineers to produce two new app experiences every week. Uh, so basically just like the cadence of our explorations is so quick that we always have to do the bare minimum. We don't have time to do highly polished rendered stuff. So even though that would be awesome... Uh, I think you can get a you can get away with a lot with the bare minimum. So I think we probably speak best to designing more minimal environments. But I've seen some really awesome, uh, more realistic environments. I think uh, HTC or HTC and Vive they ha on the HTC Vive they have some really great experiences. Um, there's the robot repair and also in their uh, five lab experiments. I, f I forget the name of that that actual demo. Uh, there's some really beautiful, uh, really beautiful worlds you can explore in that. So I wouldn't say one's better than the other. Uh, kind of, I think you can get away with both, and depending on what you value and what you really want out of your VR experience, you can decide for yourself. Yeah, something I'd li I'd like to add as well is that um, everything Robbie said. Um, definitely both. The thing is that you can make really amazing things with very little. Uh, just a few ingredients, boom, put together. I mean, think about it. Even like you're in the dark and there's a really, really shiny orb in the middle of the room. And you can walk around it and get really, really up close and it's like hissing and there's like electricity coming out. Okay, that's incredible. <laughs> I mean, you could spend all day looking at the damn thing, right? And it's just a freaking sphere. I mean, it's nothing. So it's interesting, and it doesn't look like reality at all. And if I didn't have that, if only I had was hyper-realistic photo environments of mountains, for example, I would still feel like I'm missing something. I want that sphere in the middle of the room with the fancy shader on it. Um, but um, one thing I'd like to mention is that just like we talk about Uncanny Valley with characters, you look at something like the Final Fantasy movie, although that's really, really old, but... Anything that's CG, really, it's very hard to tell. Um, no, it's very easy to tell, and it makes you uncomfortable when you look at a person. And we talk about Uncanny Valley with people's faces because everything else is getting better and better. Although animation, I can tell when they have, like, 
you know, kung fu style cables almost, like when the like characters jump off the bridges. It's like, yeah, it's animated. However, I think with VR, when you're in an environment that's supposed to be real, because people spent a ton of money and time to make something real, you're gonna have a, all the all day to look at every single detail and walk really up close, unless there's nothing close to you. And you can tell the textures, like you'll be able to tell it's not real. And so the thing is, you'll you'll have this. You can have the same problem where you're like, it's not the Eiffel Tower or it's not whatever, like some place you went to before, and you might get feel possibly you might feel that little uncanny valley type thing where. It's like, is this supposed to be real? Is it? It isn't real. So it's funny because in your mind, when something definitely isn't real, you can totally, it's like plastic, like the plasticity of the brain. Like you're like, this is, it's not real, but it's fine. That's fear in the middle of the room, obviously not real. These blocks are flying around, not real. But you tell yourself, they're real enough, right? They're real for what they are, these crazy cartoon cubes. Um, so that feels maybe even more real than something that's supposed to look real, but not quite. So I don't know. But for sure, at term with Moore's Law and all that stuff, um, we're going to see some crazy stuff. And I'll, I'll want to <laughs> see some realistic stuff. You know, yeah. It's going to be awesome. You'd be surprised how much you can get away with, my point. Like one person, Unity, Daydream, Spec Phone. <laughs> yeah, and it's, Make some it cool seems stuff. as though uh, realism might sometimes uh, run counter to whatever the goal of an app or experience might be. Uh, in cinematography as well as in user interface, they use a lot of different tricks to push your attention to where they want it to go. For instance, by dimming part of the background or making giving giving a dialogue box special pop or special color, um, and then there's always the, uh, the we, we we're talking obviously about stuff stuff like again going to the going to the Eiffel Tower even though we're not actually there and playing games. But I'd love to I'd love to see where this goes in terms of productivity space and actually getting uh, get, accomplishing a goal sort of space. And what, what is there a way that you need to, uh, that developers need to guard against? people getting so enticed by the lobby of the spike the skype conference that they're not turning to face any other people they just want to see how cool the carpet is and flip flip light switches because it's such a cool interactive experience how do you how do you get people focused on 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 a goal or or a certain target uh so okay so i'm a dad and i don't know if you have children but watching children first discover that they can get on you know they can they can start like crawling around and they can put something in their mouth and they're like you know they freak (laughs) out and so think about it i to me it's fine it's almost like we're like babies in a way so maybe that's not gonna uh be okay for like your board or board of member of the the board or whatever your company is doing they really want people to just get on that skype call damn it uh (laughs) you know you can't tell the investors well we want people for a month to just stare at the carpet (laughs) instead of the the numbers you're presenting about how bad you know when you're just doing yeah, <laughs> I mean, you know, it, could you be have good to think when about the numbers it. are down. Here, catch, catch the glowing yeah, look at this carpet. So, <laughs> by the way, we're down uh, forty-five oh, percent. Shiny. I don't know. This is a little bit of an open-ended statement I made, but uh, it's interesting that if people do that, you know, they just look at the stare at the ground. Who knows, right? But I mean, it's fairly easy to. Do to turn things off and turn things on. And with spatial audio, um, there's a, a, a lot of things you can do about like, uh, and the uh, the current cardboard SDK actually has like 
an amazing spatial audio thing built in. And not everybody knows that. There's a great IO talk about it. But maybe you're looking down and you're looking at the ground and then somebody's calling you in that lobby and you'll hear ringing or some person talking up there above you on the side and then you'll turn to look because that's what you do and then all of a sudden you could uh, get people's attention that way um, so there's a ton you can do with special uh, specifically binaural audio dynamic binaural audio with um, three DOF or even six DOF tracking you'll be able to walk around that orb sit underneath close your eyes and you can hear the orb hissing above your head it's freaking crazy right I mean not nobody talks about that stuff you hear people say and they sound very important like audio is 50% of the experience I mean that's great to read because this way people actually know there's audio in VR but um, if you really think about it there's no number to put on it it's just it's 100% of it, like the other rest is 100%. I mean, how do you put numbers on this stuff? I don't know. Yeah, and um, as I was watching some of the talks, and, and Robbie, when you got up to speak, you were talking about social and VR. And there is a, a quote that you kind of kind of started off the conversation where you said, social apps let you feel like you're in the same room as someone else, regardless of where you are in the world. And I thought that was so cool because as I was at IO, my family was actually back in Arizona and I just, uh, I like missed them terribly, you know, and we did a like hangouts uh, video call in, in the morning before, before IO, like one of the sessions and stuff. But I can just imagine like, what about if we had VR and I did feel like I was next to them and I did, and I could give them a hug, you know? Um, so I kind of just, I would love for you to kind of just share some of those experiences and some of the things that you kind of learned. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I'm glad you brought that up. So my mom was actually in town in San Francisco this weekend, and she had never been in VR before, and we're, we're eating dinner together, and she's asking me, like, what is VR? She doesn't really understand. She watched my talk, obviously, but she doesn't really understand um, what VR really feels like. She doesn't understand that you really feel like you are there, you are in a space, you're with other people. Um, and I was trying to t explain to her at the dinner table, I'm like, we, my mother, for context, my mother lives in uh, in New York City. I was like, you and I could have a meal together or we could hang out together, even though I live in San Francisco and you live in New York. And it's difficult for people who haven't tried VR to really understand that because the way we document VR is obviously in 2D video that we share on the internet. And the 2D video looks just like any other video game. So my mom's like, oh, how's it different from like PlayStation or Nintendo. Um, and then she came over <laughs> to my house and I showed her a tilt brush <laughs> and her mind was blown. Uh, she's like, wow. Uh, like, yeah. So for those who are listening and, and haven't tried VR, you are, even though there's, even though there's like a screen that's near your face and you are looking at a screen, um, the way it works is it sends two different images to each eye and it actually simulates depth. And with that, you feel like you're in another space. And being in another space, you can obviously bring other people in with you. And um, again, we, we, we talked about kind of doing uh, low poly or low fidelity environments. Uh, we also, just in general, since we're rapid prototyping, we, do, we, we try to get away with as much as we can with the bare minimum. And with social and VR, it's it's pretty incredible. With how, even if you just have like a cube for a head and a cube for a, for a hand or two hands, it's amazing how much you get just from the way 
the head and hands move. Everyone has a different way to they move. I I've I know manual very well, so like if I just saw like a few different people in a room with cubes <laughs> moving, I could probably tell you like who's who just because I know I know their their mannerisms. I know the way they move. I know the way they walk, and um, that's really bringing it to the bare minimum right there. So you you start to add little bits like eyes or mouth, voice, and their presence is just so clearly with you. It's it's hard to describe. I, I was going to ask you a question about that, Robbie. Um, you know, I, I, I'm a developer myself, and it's funny that your first instinct seems to be like, I want my entire self in this world. I want to model my entire body. I want my face. I want all that other stuff. And I thought it was really interesting as you start to pare that down. It's like, well, suddenly you're in that, you know, kind of uncanny valley space where my legs aren't actually being tracked. So they're, you know, you have to simulate where they're moving. I'm curious how you got to the point where I was watching your demo and it just, it was just literally a pair of eyes on something that looked like a piece of cardboard with two floating hands. And it was amazing to me the amount of emotion you could just get from a pair of eyes and and a pair of hands. Yeah. So our whole team, we've, we've done a lot of different avatar explorations and like you mentioned uh again i'll just repeat so the listeners if they didn't see it we showed um we showed a full body avatar which basically it was a full avatar with legs arms a torso a head and similar to what manuel was talking about with the eiffel tower you can kind of get into this uncanny valley place really easily where when you show the full body you kind of you want you expect everything to be right so if you see something wrong uh, it becomes really weird really quick. So, actually, Manuel, I don't know if you remember. I don't remember when we first did that uh, cardboard head with just the eyes, but it was early on. It, it might have been the first one we did, just out of time necessity. Oh, uh, it was. And then we tried. Yeah, it was yeah, before. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was. Um, Stefan had uh, played with the idea before, uh, even uh, before we were even working on this. Pro- crazy year project building 60 things uh, in 30 weeks. So um, there has been like a prototype around about like having these eyes um, that would um, something interesting about these eyes is we can't really, we don't have like, it's not with eye trackers, right? We don't know like if, even though I might be, if I turn my head here, that's all we know, right? It's like turning my head. I'm turning my head right now. Um, but uh by doing that, we can infer, well, if I'm looking to the, if the person's looking to the right, then you have these little pupils in their face. Looks like googly eyes like you buy uh, to do arts and crafts with kids. And those pupils, like, they shoot to the right as you turn your head to the right. And then the people who see you, they're like, that person's there. I swear I saw their eyes. And it's like, it's just like stuck on with a little bit of logic. And then randomly they blink. And it's... It's really amazing what you can do with that. And if you watch the IO Talk um, lessons learned from VR prototyping, if people want to search for that, um, you Robbie explains all this very well. It's like it just randomly blinks, and then you kind of shoot in the same. You accelerate those pupils in the direction the person is looking with a little bit of a lag. It's incredible how much you can do with that. Um, and again, you know it's not real. You've never seen somebody look like this. <laughs> that looks crazy, but. But you don't care. Like, you just don't care, you know. Plus, it's very, you know, we're Google. It's very googly, right? It's like the doodle on the floor. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> you had googly yeah, eyes, of course. <laughs> yeah, we, we call this one googly eyes. Yeah, googly eyes. So, 
I mean, I also do work on the uh, the front page of Google. I do sound design and music for the Doodles. When they're interactive uh, and I'm available, I help um, that team uh, by brainstorming with them about, this is the front page of Google, right? You change the logo to commemorate somebody amazing or some amazing invention uh, in any case. And so I'm used to kind of seeing Google when, when I see it, uh, when I see it or whatever. And so to me, seeing these googly eyes working really well was kind of nice. I was like, you know, even the brand of Google is like this. It's, it's simple. There's these colors. Um, and then you put characters in place of those 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 letters, you know, we do that. We see that all the time on the front page. And there's something cool about this. I mean, I sound like I'm representing the brand, but I really like it. And I think uh, there's a lot of these very simple things, even the fruit salad world, that you could tell the colors actually were picked randomly uh, at runtime based on an array of four colors from the Google homepage. So we did that so that we could prototype very quickly and not spend time on, on making material on every single item. So. Um, I'm, I'm kind of going on segue here, but um, uh, this this simplicity thing uh, shows up with these eyes as well. Um, and so, yeah, one thing about this, how much expression you can have with these like white gloves as hands, and the person's hands aren't really tracked, but they're they're holding controllers. In the case of a HTC Vive, um, there's a demo that we show, which is a a whiteboard experiment, and uh, people are watching through a camera that the person who's in VR drawing on the whiteboard can grab through a stick, right? They can bring the camera close to a part of the whiteboard and draw, look at the camera and wave. Well, what's interesting is when we, we have people come and try this stuff all the time. That's a big part of the process. I remember when one of our coworkers, um, Robbie, was, it was Josh, I think, was over. People come and they talk about it. So the friend Josh was in VR with a headset and, and we were watching him but instead of looking at him when he was talking to us with that crazy headset on their face, covered eyes, we were watching the main monitor, which was showing the feed of the camera that was in VR. So what we would see, uh, there was two monitors, sorry, in the room. It was basically a regular PC with a monitor. And we would have a camera feed of that camera that my friend was, our friend was dragging around the world. But it was better to look at him on the monitor, his virtual representation, of just googly eyes on the HTC Vive headset that I modeled with these crazy hands, like white gloves, talking like this. I'm like, <laughs> podcast people can't hear, but I'm like, I'm like, he was doing like, this is amazing. And his hands were like pushing down like this and he was doing this. Well, if I looked at him in real life, it was just kind of, it wasn't as good as looking at him in VR, which had these blinking eyes looking at me and it was cleaner and it was about the experience he was talking to us about anyway. So instead of looking at both, it was like we found ourselves just looking at the guy in VR, uh, his representation in there. So interesting stuff. <laughs> I don't know what my point is, but it's very interesting. No, it's uh, it's pretty kind of pretty amazing, the expressing yourself in VR and kind of it's, uh, it's who you are, but it's like represented in another beings of sorts. So it's kind of interesting how that plays out. Um, as I was at Google I.O., I was walking through some of the booths, and there was actually this uh, cool booth 
where it would take a picture of you or anyone and it would run it through some like API machine learning, Google stuff, it was some Google magic. And it could give you some information like, hey, this person's sad or this person's happy. And of course it could give you, I think other like the hair color and all these different like data points that it would just come out. Um, and as I was kind of, you know, re watching the VR presentation, you're prototyping again and you were, you made a comment about like, even something so simple can be so expressive. And I was kind of wondering like, wow, if there is a way to build into the, this camera to kind of capture the emotions that are on your face and then somehow display that into VR, like that seems like that would be a pretty uh, uh, epic experience uh, in a sense that I'm, I'm curious if there has been any sort of like research or anything in, in that uh, arena. Like like a life capturing emotions or, yeah, I, I like that idea. Uh, there's definitely a lot of cool stuff with face tracking and emotion tracking uh, in the academia world. Uh, one of my professors at ITP, uh, Kyle McDonald, uh, was one of the pioneers who tried to make it more accessible for people. Uh, he was working in uh, a programming framework called Open Frameworks to allow students and other people to do more things like this. A few years back, this technology was more just like uh, in-house technology for movie studios like Pixar. I think they have a program called FaceShift, which is which is really incredible. Uh, and I think they recently open sourced that as well. There's a lot of really cool innovation in that area. I or I and we haven't explored that at all, but I'm definitely excited to see where that takes us. Yeah, the pieces are there though for people to play with. Um... Yeah, of course. If from, I, if, from from go ahead. from a developer standpoint, there's definitely the pieces there uh, for people to explore and and uh, play around with that stuff. You just got to puzzle piece all of it. Uh, and then, yeah. yeah, you probably need an extra camera facing <laughs> you, and it might be a little bit of a setup. But if you're if you're doing like a catered experience where you where customers come to a specific room to experience something, maybe that's something worth checking out. Pretty amazing the the stuff that even uh, that you can do. It's like actually, yeah, we we have all this stuff to actually do that now, which is pretty amazing. You guys have been yeah, talking about crazy. a lot of different um, uh, research that you guys have been doing about, uh, and everyone else at Google has been doing about seeing how people interact with each other and seeing how people interact with environments. I can't help but uh, want to ask you guys. Do you think that you've learned just personally anything about the human inner the human interface, just how we interact with each other in real world that you maybe didn't notice before you started wondering, gee, why am I paying closer attention to how expressive these hands are than looking at the live video instead? Are you, are you, when you are at Starbucks, do you are you now like more aware of if the if the barista is annoyed with you because you've learned more about how humans tend to react with real world objects? Well, you know, Andy, that's that's a fascinating question, and it's not my place to answer it, but it is my place to interject and give you the last and final sponsor for our show. And this week, it is IT Pro TV. So do you have some kind of career plan that you want to set in motion, you know, whether you're looking to start a career in IT or you're already in the field and, you know, you want to get the certifications and credentials that are going to get you that next job or promotion? IT Pro TV's mission is education through engagement with up-to-date high-quality video content and access to the most important tools you'll need for technology certification. So here are some things that IT Pro TV features. You've got over 1,000 hours of content with 50 more hours being added each week. Courses are streamed live and on demand, you know, worldwide to your Chromecast, Roku, PC, you know, iOS device, Android device. 
anywhere you need to learn on the go, you know, they're there. Plus, IT Pro TV is now also available on the Amazon Fire TV and 4th Gen Apple TV. And IT Pro TV is now the first IT video provider with courses for sale through Amazon Video Direct. While subscriptions are still the best value, it's cool to see IT Pro TV's content, you know, available in other places to, if you just want a once-off purchase, you know, you, you want to get just that little bit. Um, they offer many Google-specific courses. You know, you've got Google Apps for work administrators. You've got Google Groups for business, uh, things about managing Google Drive storage, and all the courses are transcribed. So, you know, if you're looking for something in particular or you feel like you missed something, you know, you can look up the, the uh, transcription and be like, ah, okay, that's what it was. So IT Pro TV also includes over 100 step-by-step virtual machine labs and transcendent practice exams, which are normally $109 in value. And this is all under one low monthly subscription price. And there's a no hassle cancellation policy, you know. So if any time you want to leave, you know, that's fine with IT Pro TV. They're, they're good people. Uh, corporate and group pricing is also available. And IT Pro TV's clients include people like, you know, Harvard, MIT, UCSD, Stanford, and more. So if if some of this has got your interest, you want to head to itpro.tv slash material uh, to boost your brain with the most popular IT certifications and get your seven-day free trial. IT Pro TV premium subscriptions are normally $57 a month or $570 per year, but we have a special offer for you when you sign up using the offer code material30. You'll get 30% off the lifetime of your account. That's that's a decent chunk of discount. So you just have to visit itpro.tv slash material, use the offer code material30, and then you'll get to try it for seven days and get 30% off the lifetime of your account. We want to thank IT Pro TV for sponsoring this episode of Material Podcast. I, I, the thing that I'm scratching the surface with still is this ability to use your to physically interact with things. It's it's so intuitive for all of us. I mean, Brett Victor has a really great uh, paper on his website about this. I think he might call it like interacting uh, with objects with between a glass screen. He he talks about always interacting with things, but there's like a glass screen in between you and the thing you're interacting with. So to remove that barrier is pretty incredible. And I I haven't formalized my articulation of it, um, but I think there's a lot of really interesting stuff with just building things that are more intuitive with how you physically interact with the world. And like we were talking about before, it doesn't need to fully mimic it, but if you give enough of affordance, if you give enough of an affordance, you intuitively interact with it correctly. So I think uh, the app called Job Simulator for the Vive does a really great job of this. Basically, everything in that app is interactable. And each item or interactable object, they have this affordance that you kind of intuitively play with correctly. And I'm excited to see more variation of that and more exploration uh, of doing... Basically, intuitive affordances that aren't necessarily mimicking reality. Yeah, I'm going to add something interesting there. Back to the question a little bit, which was like, you watch people. Did did we learn something about how people are? So I think when, when you look around you in real life and you look at someone, there's a lot of details, right? There's a lot of pixels to look at. And a lot of joints are moving. And of course... In our mind, we're not paying attention to everything, but we're trained to figure out the person is dancing or happy or sad or whatever. I think there's something beautiful as a byproduct of this technology being nascent and you just have head and hands. You know, it sounds very limiting. And But 
if you watch one of the in the video, you can see me dancing. Um, <laughs> and so we, we definitely saw that. Yeah, <laughs> we'll put a link in the okay. show notes, by the way, so that everyone else can. As I well. haven't, but I'm happy no one has done like a crazy gift like with a million followers yet. Oh, so, I, I no, think it's. I think, I think, I think it's coming now. I think you just. Right then. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you can do that with. Uh, I, I hugged. I hugged. Um, Robbie on stage and it was unscripted. I freaked. I freaked him out, and um, that I, I'm happy with that kind of gesture of humanity being gift and and whatever. The other one, uh, I'll let it be, but it's a little scary. But I was going to say about this dancing thing is actually was in the context of dancing together, and. This is connected to what I was just saying earlier about like the byproduct of the technology being new and the hands and head being tracked. God knows in like 10 years, 20 years, what's going to happen. But for now, we have that. And I like it, actually. There's something interesting about it. Of course, you could track feet at the same time and uh, you, can, you can strap controllers to your feet as well. But just hands and head. Um, if you watch the video, you can see the the person, first-person view, looking at somebody else dancing. In this case, it was, I think it was Stefan on the other side, and I was the one with HMD, uh, the HMD first view that you see in the video. Anyway, um, you don't have to filter as much with your brain. There's less to process. So I find it, again, kind of more uh, comfortable in some way to look at somebody with just the hands floating on the head. So... Too bad it's not a video podcast. But if I do this, <laughs> doing the locomotion, He's dancing for us right now. You're, you're messing up. <laughs> I'm just doing like the locomotion thing, where I have I'm kind of rolling my hands back and forth like that, and it's hilarious, right? So in in our demos, one of them is shows be, uh, two people playing this kind of physics-based bowling thing, and uh, there's you can see just from like a, just a box on their face with two googly eyes, and then with these just like these gloves floating in the air, the person is like terrified that the ball isn't going to hit the uh, the, um, uh, the bowling pin. Yeah. And then when when it wins, the person turns around and just like starts dancing. It's really just three things you're looking at, head position and rotation and hands position rotation. It's not much, but there's something great about it. It's yeah. just like it's easier to deal with. You don't have as much to data to process in some way. And I think some people who actually have a hard time with how much data is around them, you know, maybe there's people who have sensory uh, sensory integration issues. There's a lot of people that have, we all have different amounts of uh, tolerance for how much data is around us. And some people just, just can't deal with it, right? It's just too much. Um, and that might be just a fantastic environment for people to be in and feel better about their life. You know, they might really need that from a therapy standpoint or just as a break from hyper-realistic reality. So... Yeah, that could be a whole like field um, of study, and it probably is. Um, I find this very interesting. And this is to talk about the question, which was like, oh, do you, you know, what's different about looking at people and stuff? I think to me that's different. Uh, to me, I notice when there's too much information around me versus just hands and head like dancing in front of me, which is much more reassuring. Yeah, I could, couldn't help but notice. For instance, uh, we're we're on uh, we're on Skype. Uh, if your listeners who are listening, but we, for the purposes of having the conversation, we uh, material always uh, podcasts on uh, video Skype, 
And there's such a difference between the way that uh, Manuel and the way that Robbie expresses themselves. Man- uh, Manuel is talking a lot with his hands and he's gesturing and he's emphasizing certain <laughs> things. Robbie seems to be a little bit more quiet and a little bit more reserved physically. And uh, I can't help but think about all the different cues that you get just by what their body is doing and what their body is like. Uh, I'm, I myself, I, I, I like to refer to the fact that my uh, my social software is in uh, operational beta, but it's still, <laughs> even after 40 <laughs> years, I'm still adding to the code base. Uh, and uh, as, as, as you say, Manuel, some people uh, might get, uh, they have trouble processing extreme motion. Other people, they kind of would like to have better cues as to, okay, I didn't, I'm not picking up that this person is shifting in their seat and they're kind of really, really uncomfortable. I would really enjoy it if the, my viewing experience could really underscore some things that I should be paying attention to, to how they're working and, and how they're trying to communicate. Like v, VR almost as, a, as an assistive device uh, as opposed to a simple communication device. What do you think about that? It's very interesting and um, obviously something to to experiment with in the future. I think people people should look into that. Um, sorry, yeah, short no, answer. No, that's uh, that, <laughs> no. That's it, it really is like you you know thinking about that all of that and like uh, VR can transform you into so many different um, environments and things and can even for if you you know for for like you mentioned therapy pur- purposes or even things that maybe you have some uh, some fears or social anxiety or something that you can really kind of help you um, kind of uh, ex- experience those and hopefully that gets you into a place where you can face kind of face that fear. Um, so I'm, I'm actually like really eager to see how VR can be used in scenarios like that, that really are really helpful because so much with technology, some of it is like, oh, this is just super fun. You just like shrunk me into a dollhouse, right? And then you have uh, some other aspects of of technology where, um, like, I think in, in the talk you guys had this, uh, an architect was actually building a house, and so they can model and build the house, but then they can actually enter the house, so they can actually feel like what it feels like um, in real life, like if they had had a, a true to spec or the the size of it, so you could actually walk through the halls. And I was just like, wow, like that just is pretty amazing because. I used to work, um, at, you know, at an industrial design shop, and I know how much prototyping and all that work. It's like, okay, how do we get the rem- the rem- the remote to feel right or this thing to feel right, etc. But like, if you're able to even do that in VR and kind of experiment, like, you probably kill off so much prototyping time. I mean, sure, you you we have to get you guys to prototype it for us, but it's just kind of amazing the the things that can be done with VR. Yeah, the one you refer to, we call architect. Uh, it's one of my favorite ones, and it is similar to the dollhouse example in in its model, right? You have you have these blocks. One of them has the blocks fall over. The other one, everything is snaps to a grid, which is very satisfying. By the way, like plop, 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 plop. You put a like, window somewhere, and then oh, I don't want to rotate it 90 degrees. It's like shh, you know, like it's just amazing. But what's interesting about that one actually is, as you build things in VR and you put the headset on, because we had the headset like half the day, most of the time, I mean, it's just, we were crazy in VR all the time, Um, is that while you're in VR and you're writing the code, you know, like you pull the headset off for a second, you change something in Unity, you put the headset back on, um, you basically, you're you're creating a world that you may discover later certain things that you built that you didn't know. So unlike, unlike a screen, to make like a podcast app, for example, where you you know you put the layouts together and all that, it's kind of all here. Maybe when you scroll too much, we might see like, hey, I didn't know this actually scrolled that way. There's are there are some some things you discover over time with VR because you're there. 
uh, an example for architect that I want to bring up is that uh, Stefan and I built that one and um, we made ourselves small and then I had a wall next to me and I, as I was tiny, I grabbed the wall and moved it in front of me. It was on my side and I moved it in front of me and it, it like went stuck. You know, it like it did the same thing it was doing when I was massive, you know, regular size. And I just grabbed this wall that was like, I don't know, eight feet tall. And it's just like I picked it up and not only I picked it up, but it had the same properties of like snapping to this grid. It was just like <laughs> jump. It was like jumping inside jumping inside the pixels in, in, in the SketchUp or Photoshop or whatever, I I almost cried. It was incredible. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's one of those, like, man, this works? We did this? We... Oh, and, and so another example of this, um, maybe I'm diverging from the question, but it's just fun little stories. Another one is that there's a conveyor belt example that uh, we used, we built using the Daydream controller actually, which has certain number of um, degrees of freedom. It's not a Vive, you know, but but you can you can uh, rotate it and you can you can grab objects and you can basically it's a conveyor belt. Objects come to you all the time; they never stop. And there's these colored cubes that comes to you, and you can grab them when they get in front of you, and you lift it, and you can lift like you're lifting with your elbow in front of you. And um, there's these um, baskets around, like red. Uh, well, it's the four Google colors, right? Uh, and then you you have to drop them into the right um, bucket, like red into red, blue into blue. What happened though is that at one point, uh, oh, there's also you can also eat donuts because that's very important. <laughs> but something something else we realized is that you could grab your head and throw it. <laughs> because, just like in real life and once you, so it, we we tested that with people now you got to understand we build these things so quickly and then we have the demo party after uh, monday afternoon like we talked about and, and it's just like people find things not only bugs you know it's one of those things like we all make apps and, and people find bugs but these cool little jewels of of stuff that the world you made have in it and you had no idea so yeah several people out of like maybe 30 people who tried it that that night uh, they they were they grabbed their head and they threw it and what's <laughs> interesting about this is that their head was just a uh, a white box because it was just a proxy for our it was a collider for our code you know when you grab the donuts you put it to your mouth and it goes you know you can hear somebody eat it oh. eat it and so in Unity, it's like you throw a box in there, you attach it to the head, blah, blah, blah. And somehow it also had the script for grabbing the boxes and throwing them. <laughs> and so I bet what happened is, you know, Stefan and I like copy and pasted stuff all over the place to make this thing work in a few days. And this was in there, but it was pretty funny. I thought you could actually throw it onto the um, conveyor belt and your head would come, <laughs> back, come back to you from the conveyor belt. The consequence... The consequence of this was that they could not eat uh, donuts anymore because oh. their head was gone. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> oh, that, that, I bet you they had to take off their like headset at that moment. They're like, I'm done. <laughs> no donuts. Actually, it brings us to I an think... interesting question about the <laughs> sorry, about, about the headset. You mentioned, you know, at one point you had it on half a day, you spend, you know, many hours in there every day. Do you this is the I know it's a stereotypical question about VR. People are always like, you know, will it make me sick? You know, will I get a headache? Will it will it hurt my head? Do you think the technology is at the point yet where you can spend, you know, realistically four hours, six hours? You know, you you sound like you've had a lot of people, you know, come through and test it. What's 
what's kind of your, people's reactions to it? Like, do people still get sick, or do you think we're over that that hurdle now? So, so go ahead, Robbie. And now I want to talk about something later if you don't cover it. But go ahead, Robbie. Sure. Yeah. So whenever I give a talk or talk to people who've tried VR, that's the first question they ask me: Am I going to get sick? VR is not for me. I always get sick. And when you build a good experience, your users won't get sick. So in the we're still in the beginning of VR, but let's say a year ago, a lot of people were doing certain ways of locomotion and moving around that just made people sick and gave them a, a poor first experience in VR. So they're ingrained with this thought that VR is going to make them sick. If an app is designed really well, it will not make them sick. Now, when in regards to ergonomics and comfort on how long can you wear something, it's similar to a hat or, a sun, or sunglasses or prescription glasses. Depending on how it's designed and how well it forms your head, you, different people can wear it for different amounts of time. So uh, especially with wearables, uh, since I worked on glass, I know this very well. It's difficult to make a one-size-fits-all product. Uh, when you buy prescription glasses, you often get them to be shaped a little bit more to fit your head better so they're more comfortable. So I think, I think in terms of uh, getting sick, I think as more designers and developers become accustomed to better design practices, that fear and uh, that that fear and notion will go away. But um, in regards to comfort of how long can you actually wear a headset, we'll just see how comfortable these headsets get. I'm excited that they'll get more and more comfortable. Uh, Manuel and I, we definitely wear headsets for like five hours a day. Um, <laughs> yes. So they, at least they're at least at five hours of comfortableness. Uh, I, yeah, so one thing also is that um, I, I love what Robbie said. And additionally, um, it's like he, there's this motion to photon response, this latency that you get currently. If you have a really cheap phone and uh, maybe an app was not designed in the best way possible, maybe they have too many dynamic lights and performance goes down, maybe your battery is down. And uh, you put that into a headset that maybe doesn't have the best optics, for example. Um, and uh, when you put that on and you turn your head really fast, um, it may feel okay to you, but there might be some delay there. And that delay is going to uh, add to the likeliness, uh, possibility of you, if you're sensitive to it, to feel uncomfortable about it. And um, it's important to know because it's important to think about this because the whole thing about Daydream spec phones and... Android um, having a VR mode and all these optimizations that Clay uh, Bavor VP talked about and all the people on stage that we work with is that we're trying to squash that. Uh, the number we gave to people is less than 20 milliseconds, so sub 20 millisecond motion to photon, right? You move motion, photon comes to you, is updated. That's incredible, right? This is, this is, uh, this is going, making a huge difference. When you get that, so at the end of the year, you get all in the fall, you get all that together, a really nice app that's using the right SDK. It doesn't go crazy with uh, performance. Um, you will be a lot less likely uh, to to feel like this. So it's important to give it another chance. For example, if some people listening, um, maybe they had a bad experience with certain type of phone, certain type of viewer. These things get better all the time, not only for comfort, like Robbie said, but also uh, sheer you know latency and technology and graphical power. I just wanted to ask, we're getting kind of close to the time where uh, you guys need to go, but um, 
I suppose it's going to be a time when people are going to be sort of annoyed when they're spending a session in VR, but they hear a chime for their phone and they have to lift the goggles up, their headset up to check on what this thing that they have to re respond to. They kind of would like to spend their entire work afternoon, at least, in VR. What, what do you think that the the big stumbling block will be against things like that? Like if people want to uh, actually have uh, like a Google Docs window, some a Google Docs project somewhere, they also want to be able to adjust their environment so that it's a more conducive place to work and whatever else entertainment and, and tools that uh, developers are going to make. What's going to, what is it going to take to get people to want to spend their afternoon in, in a VR environment? Yeah, I think we, we touched on a lot of it uh, just with the last question. Manuel mentioned the hardware game better. So people get less sick and less frames are dropped. Uh, I touched on it in terms of ergonomics of a headset and also in terms of designers creating experiences that you can stay in longer and feel more comfortable in. Sorry, one more thing. The other thing we didn't mention is the resolution of displays. So right now, for thing, you mentioned Google Docs. So uh, right now, it's since these displays, um, basically we're using mobile phone displays and uh, they weren't necessarily originally designed for VR headsets. So the pixel density isn't good enough to read. Well, you can you can read text for sure, but you notice it could be better. It could be crisper. So display technology will get better and allow for that to improve. So I think in tandem with all four of those working together, uh, you'll be able to just spend more and more time. What else did you want to mention, Manuel? Oh, it was just uh, exactly what you what you talked about resolution. Um, I think. Again, Robbie and I were so busy with our own talk that I haven't even seen everybody else's talk. But um, there's something about like designing for Daydream or something like that, which is uh, Mike, uh, um, Mike Alger, I think, went up there and talked about text sizes and uh, field of view, how many, uh, how many degrees you should be able to comfortably look at UI. There's all kinds of amazing stuff uh, we, have, we haven't covered uh, by design in our talk. So just look up for other talks. I don't know if they're online yet, but they'll they'll just trickle in on the YouTube channel uh, for Google developers. But there's, yeah, there's a, a bunch of people on the team that really thought about that kind of stuff, like how big the text size should be, how far is it comfortable to focus at, right? Because you can look at certain text size in front of you, like half a meter, 10 centimeters away, like a few inches, uh, versus like something that's massive, but it's it's like 20 feet away. Is that more comfortable? It depends how the display set up. So there's all kinds of cool stuff to geek about and forever all the designers and developers to just ramp upon that. I don't know, sky's the limit. It's like yeah. amazing how much data there is there. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm just really fascinated by a lot of this, uh, uh, I, I suppose, anthropological questions about VR because there's a, uh, there's a desire to be in VR that can be solved with Again, making sure that you've got uh, the latency problem solved, making sure that you've got motion tracking that's following uh, head movement solved. But then you're also dealing with the fact that, we, uh, with, that we've had uh, about 2.8 million years of positive evolution that has never equipped us for the possibility of taking off our own heads and putting them on a conveyor belt. <laughs> And I'm I'm just wondering how VR is going to help us to understand the reason that there's a what is it that we expect to see what is it that gives us a familiarity of experience uh, when you learn about the tricks that our own operating system plays on us like how if I just suddenly snap my head from here to here to look at something that my brain is literally making my vision go black for that millisecond because otherwise it would freak me out to try to process a blur of motion I'm wondering how engineers like uh, like you and everyone else at uh, in the 
industry is going to have to look at these problems of here's how you make uh, you, you add the next million years of evolution, us, our, our ability to process what can only be sp uh, termed a magical environment where impossible physics breaking things happen. <laughs> well, I'm I'm fascinated by this. I love to listen to podcasts uh, <laughs> that are about uh, science, and uh, you know everything I know is from podcast. Really, uh, I don't have time to read all the academic papers, but uh, I trust my sources. But the thing is, is what's interesting about this of what you describe is is so much fun about like the brain, and there's actually a big latency between something happening and you knowing about it, and. Your hand move, you know, your reactions. Maybe you're a kung fu guy and you like you block something, but your brain, like you actually didn't see it. It's just all this cool stuff. Like we're just there's, it's like a staggered series of events that are not instantaneous with our brain and our body. Um, but something I'd like to that's related that I'm interested in. I don't know about what solutions there are. It's more about the plasticity of the brain and how I know that people are saying if one day we can have four arms through whatever, genetic something, we'll actually be able to train our brains to have four arms and it's not going to be a huge deal. And uh, doctors say that. Uh, and and pe uh, people who study that kind of stuff say that it's not a huge deal. It's just that our brain is, we can get used to stuff. We can learn uh, to train to move our hand with different pathways than um, what's uh, in our spinal cord. And that's what they're doing right now. They go through like, through the the the, the head, they they connect to computers that then connect to your hand, then you can actually, you have to retrain yourself because it's, it's a different way to move your hand. This is about people who have uh, can't move their hand and then through computers, you, you can allow this. But additionally, it's almost like filling in the blanks. I like to say it like filling in the blanks uh, with something that's more interesting than blank. Um, and so you're going to be in <laughs> VR and s something in VR is going to happen that hasn't happened to any human being before which is really cool. And I think Robbie and I went through some of that. We built something crazy. We experienced it. Probably never before somebody experienced it the same way we did. Um, and uh, it's fine, right? You, you get used to stuff. You, we're going to learn a lot about it, uh, about what are those kind of gaps that get, get, get those bridges that get created, the new, the new like pathways in the brain that get trained to speak the language I'm speaking right now versus interact with this weird VR environment to do something that was impossible in real life. And maybe that thing I'm making is something very productive. Maybe that's my job in the future. Maybe that's my teenager's job later and I can't really explain to him where to go because I have no idea the job doesn't exist yet. Maybe that's a little crazy. But hey, you know, if this is part of the world and, and the world is, becomes these impossible things, we're going to have to get over the hurdle learn how to evolve in these environments and uh, be kind of like not humans anymore. Maybe we're human, but there's, we are living new things that, that our ancestors have not experienced before. And to piggyback on that, uh, one of the things I'm most excited about VR for is just the exploration of the human mind. It is, it's so crazy how little we know about how everyone else perceives reality mm. and to give people a way to perceive reality in the way that you perceive it is just it's it's wild and i'm really excited to see uh basically be able to live in other, or experience and live in other people's imaginations and see how other people think see what life is like uh in a different gender from a different height from a from a different animal and i, th I there's there's just like endless possibilities in this area and 
it's extremely exciting to just really delve into what our minds are capable of. Yeah, definitely. We're uh, I'm super excited uh, for what is the future of VR. I mean, we haven't even seen Daydream yet, but it's coming. It's coming. So I hear. So I hear. Sundar said it's coming. All right. So we got to trust the man. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm super excited. I know you you are all. Um, excited because you've got to work with it. I want to thank you all so much for coming. Uh, it's been a true pleasure just hearing kind of your, your process and the things that you experience. And it's like you mentioned, it's a whole different ball game. It's a whole different ballpark. And so I'm super excited that you, you went through all the fun things of prototyping so that uh, designers and developers who are doing that don't have to run into the same issues you did. Um, is there anything else you want to, you want to close out with? Um, and then I'll uh, let you guys yeah. know. I'd love to say something you just said, actually, which is, um, you know, you mentioned we try something, and so it's it's tried, and we kind of uh, uh, show our learnings. What's interesting is that even if all the people listening, you know, they get into it and they they want to they watch the talk and uh, whatever, we what's going to happen is people should try the same thing we tried if it, if they want to, if people want to. Uh, I guarantee they will learn all kinds of things that we haven't learned. And so that's a cool part about it. I mean, how many messaging apps are there, right, on the phones? And I mean, every time I'm sure the people making them find new stuff and, you know, they, they have inventions. And um, it's the same thing here. You know, every time you try something, maybe even multiple times yourself, built from scratch each time, you'll find a whole new number of things because of a little variable you changed. Because... Gravity was a little different. Your scale was a little different. Or just people that day were different when you tested it. Um, it's just, um, yeah. So everything needs to be tried over and over again and to learn many, many things. Robbie? Yeah, I'll just plus one that sentiment. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for having us. Oh, you're still on Google Plus. I see. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> and I want to thank everyone for listening. Uh, Manuel, where can people find you and uh, stay connect with, connected with you? Sure. Um, so... My nickname is Mano1, that's M-A-N-O, like the hand in Spanish. Oh no, we froze. Uh-oh. <laughs> oh, we lost oh, him. No. <laughs> we made it, we made it. So, you're so close. <laughs> Here, I can, I can look up his that's Twitter. <laughs> yeah, I, I got it. So, <laughs> I got it on there. And I'll definitely put it in the show notes and also link to the VR. Um, if we don't. Here, we'll go next to Robbie and if uh, we'll see when Manuel comes back. Robbie, where can people find you online? Yeah, mine's really simple. It's just my name at uh, Robbie Tilton on Twitter. So feel free to message me. Happy to chat. Awesome. And I am at Yasmin Evian on Twitter. And Andy, where can people find you? Uh, you have to spell my last name. So I look forward to not hearing from anybody. It's I-H-N-A-T-K-O. That's on Twitter and also anatko.com. Right and below. Russell, where can uh, people keep up with you? Uh, you take the word rusty and you take the word shelf. You put them together and you go to the Twitters. And that's, that's where you find me. <laughs> and you can find our show at, at Material Podcast. And we are on relay.fm forward slash material. You can find us on the web. I want to thank everyone for listening. I guess uh, Manuel uh, just got stuck in VR somewhere. He's, uh, he's stuck in <laughs> maybe, VR. Maybe he was never really here. Maybe we oh. are in VR. Oh. Took off his head. My. We got to wait for the conveyor to bring it back. <laughs> <laughs> no donuts for My him. My VR mind is blown. <laughs> awesome.